0: But when you when I talk to atheists, I find that the one thing that they can't understand or can't accept for God is how if you if we believe in a in an all good God, in a merciful God, that things like six million Jews being wiped out can happen and exactly. a whole bunch of other genocides and atrocities you know one person said and i almost always get this is i used to believe in god but in her i think it was her sister had cancer and passed away at a very young age and you know or someone it's a it's someone who has a, a some sort of challenge in their family or they went through something you know how could god let this happen
1: He is well-known on Wall Street and was a founding member of Signature Bank in New York. He has spoken on many podcasts and even on TEDx and Google. He and his wife, Susan, are the parents of four children, and he is the author of Getting Our Groove Back, How to Energize American Jewry, and recently launched a new book, In Good Faith, Questioning Religion and Athe- Atheism. I'm pleased to present Scott Shay. Scott, are you ready to share your story of hope?
0: I am. Thank you for having me today.
1: Oh, it's a privilege. Well, let's kind of back up and talk a little bit about perhaps what got this entire story started. And that is your father. Yes. Why don't you tell me a little bit about his story and how it plays into your story?
0: Sure. Well, my father. Was born in a town called Sveksna, Lithuania, um, which is probably about six. Well, probably about sixty miles outside of Vilna, and he grew up um, in what would be a called a shtetl. If you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, yes, um, and about twenty five percent of the population was Jewish, and seventy five percent was Christian Lithuanian. And sometime the year after his bar mitzvah, the Nazis came in
2: mm.
0: um, in late June and rounded up all the Jews. And uh my father's father was murdered before the deportation. Um, all of his aunts, his uncles, his brother, one brother was in Kovner, he was killed, he was murdered too. Um, his cousins and Indeed, one cousin was away for the year working on a kibbutz in Palestine, and she was the only person who survived. So my closest relative on my father's side is a second cousin once removed. That's how much of the family was wiped out. And so my father was uh, deported to first slave labor. He worked in the uh, Svetl Heidelberg uh, work camp. Then later, he was moved to another work camp, and then later he was moved to Auschwitz in 1943, oh and goodness. that would have been the end, except he was then put on a work duty group to Warsaw, where he was for quite a while, uh, and then uh, a apparently cleaning up after the Warsaw ghetto uprising and the like. And then he went to Dachau where he was liberated and he was less than 70 pounds. He was something in the sixties of pounds. He was probably certainly no more than weeks, maybe days, maybe hours from death before his liberation. Oh yeah. My goodness. He was so, fortunate, and certainly I am too, in, in that um, when he was liberated, so Auschwitz was liberated in January, mm-hmm. and then Dachau wasn't liberated until um, uh, late April, early May. So by then, the soldiers knew you couldn't just give people food, because what happened initially is that these emaciated inmates would be given food by You know, I mean, the Army soldiers, We were happy to give them whatever they had. It was out of generosity. Um, They'd give them um, candy bars, whatever they had. And they would go into insulin shock and die. And they would, or their intestines would no longer be able to handle food. So um, by the time they got to Dachau, they knew you can't do that. And so my father was taken to a allied hospital. And he was nursed back to health for the better part of a year. Wow. Uh, and then he was sent to a displaced persons camp because they clearly didn't want him back in Lithuania. They didn't want any Jews back in Lithuania. And um, uh, he made it to the United States. He made it to Chicago because a doctor in Chicago, um, whose name I like to mention because he deserves to be, every, always be have a additional uplift in heaven, is a of Julius Mayer who signed a form saying that he wanted to see his friend George, never of course met my father, didn't know him from Adam, um, signed that he wouldn't be a burden on the U.S. taxpayer and he um, indemnified the U.S. government and they brought him to Chicago. Wow. And my father ended up, um, he, he ended up working as a carpenter, became ultimately a carpenter contractor, but a carpenter essentially and um married, had one child, me, and the part that brings this to faith is that my father was it wasn't faith wasn't really an issue for my father because my father was certain it was a god, because the the path that got him. To, from from, in Lithuania to surviving in Chicago was so narrow. I mean, if he had been in a different line, and if he had been standing in a different place, if you know, so many things would have happened that were so small. If the microphone that you were wearing was on the other side of your face and yeah. not on the side it is. If any of those things hadn't happened, I mean, so much, so small that. I mean, on a he would have been dead. There's mm-hmm. no, there was no question in his mind. He would have been dead. It was so, so much that that random chance couldn't even explain it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, my father couldn't help, and and I'm, I'm sure you can sympathize. Your your listeners can sympathize with being angry because oh, yeah. his father had been murdered before as a as a as a you know. 14 ish year old, you know, child. His father had been murdered. His younger brother had been murdered essentially within, you know, within where he was. Um, Everybody had been wiped out. Um, His town had been wiped out. He was unwelcome to come back. So he was angry. Yeah. He was angry at God. And and my father, I, I, it took me a long time to learn this, exactly what was going on, because my father would, would go to synagogue. And I relate a little bit of this in the book. I'm going into more detail here, obviously. Yes. But my father would go, into, would go to synagogue. And I, I was always a little puzzled, because he would, he would during, during the services, he would sort of talk to the people around him, um, when the rabbi gave his sermon, he would doze off, um, but he may, wanted to make sure that I went to synagogue, that I was bar mitzvah, you know, went to Hebrew school, et cetera. Right. And it took me a long time to realize that it wasn't only him who was doing it, but some of his friends who were also survivors. And what they were really doing was giving God the silent treatment. Mm. You know, like, I know you're there. There's no question. But I can't talk to you. You know, I can't talk to you after what happened to my family. Um, So, you know, I always had the feeling that, you know, he knew what he was doing and God knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And God understood. There's no question in my mind. God understood. Um, God was present at Auschwitz. God was present at Dachau. So God knew what my father had gone through. and. And and that was the central question I spent my life thinking about,
1: which is
0: you know, I wrote this book about uh, I wrote this book about questioning atheism and religion. And the, the 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 fundamental thing is that I talk about the Bible and the difficult parts of the Bible and what idolatry is and science and the history of the Bible. But when you when I talk to atheists, I find that the one thing that they can't understand or can't accept in for God is how if you be- if we believe in a in an all good God in a merciful God that things like six million Jews being wiped out can happen and exactly. a whole bunch of other genocides and atrocities i'm not i'm not it's not it's it's not the only time that that bad things happen and Frankly, when I go on book tour, the one thing that I'll, I, 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 when I've, I've been on, I've been on, uh, I, I, I love being on book tour in many ways, cause I get to talk to all sorts of people and, yes. and learn different people to learn, learn where, what, what, what's happening with different people. I was just back from Connecticut, very affluent, you know, place in, in Connecticut, um, Greenwich. And I did a book talk and, you know, one person said and i almost always get this is i used to believe in god but in her i think it was her sister had cancer and passed away at a very young age and you know or someone it's a it's someone who has a, a some sort of challenge in their family or they went through something you know how could god let this happen and yes. that's 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 i mean to a certain degree that's the one thing that that people who believe in God have to explain: is yes. how does that happen? I mean, I think atheists have to explain everything else, you know. <laughs> but 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 we have to, and and it's not explain it because something like that can't be explained. I can't say, oh, it was for good, you know, and you know, it was there was a big picture. that's it, so it, it doesn't. Really help people to say that. Right. Um, and it doesn't help a faith journey enough.
1: Yeah. So, what have you found is the answer to that question? What is the why? Why do these things happen? And you do discuss this in your book.
0: Yes. Yes. So, first of all, and I hasten to answer, to say there's no one answer, there's a way mm. of understanding this and accepting but not, you know, a, a short answer. <clears throat> so it comes back to two, it comes back to a couple of things. First of all, human choice, free will. So nobody forced the Nazis to kill the Jews. Right. They decided to do it. Nobody in all Candor forced, I mean, th- th- this has been written about actually in Svexner, nobody forced the surrounding villagers when the, when some of my father's, my father didn't do this, but some of other families hid out mm. and they were basically handed back um, to the Nazis. Um, nobody forced that. People made human decisions and... And, and 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 that's we have to recognize that there's human evil, and that's part of what we're put on earth to, 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 to deal with. Correct. At the same time, there were people who in the world were situated to do something about it. I mean, many the American government, for example, knew to some degree what was going on but didn't want to talk about it. Um, the media, the New York Times, almost entirely knew what was going on and buried the, the when, when Auschwitz was liberated on page six in the middle of a big, a big uh, article about a certain area of Poland being liberated, they wrote, and in Auschwitz, um, uh, a, a concentration camp where 1.5 million Jews were killed. That was what they said. So people knew what was going on. There were Jews like, you know, Stephen Wise. I'm not, you know, it's well recorded. There were, um, uh, when uh, people approached Louis Brent. when people approached Felix Frankfurt, who was on the Supreme Court to speak out, he couldn't believe it. He just couldn't accept it. Um, Franklin Roosevelt knows, uh, you know, many, many people knew and chose not to do anything. When there was a conference to bring in the Jewish refugees before um, the final solution. Um, No, very few countries, Uruguay took some Jews and a few places took a few Jews, but uh, the the Canadian prime minister famously said, no Jews is too many for Canada. Um, We in the United States turned away the St. Louis and sent people back. Many of whom were later executed. So, I take, I take my inspiration of understanding this from the Bible. When, when Esther originally, you know, in the book of Esther, originally Esther doesn't want to take action. She says, you know what? In, in other words, and I'm, I'm, I'm over summarizing here, but she basically sends to Mordecai a signal. Look, here's some clothes. You can come into the palace. Essentially, I can save you, but, you know, I've got this cushy job in the palace, this cushy gig being queen. Uh, you know, there's not much I can do. The king hasn't called for me. I don't want to take any risks. And Mordecai says, and maybe one of the most telling statements in the Bible, was: is don't think that you can escape the fate you are uh, you are you are causing to other people by not acting. Maybe you were put in just this place for just this reason. Yes. And the most amazing thing is Esther gets it. Look, I'm going to try. If I die, I die. If I don't, I don't. But first, let me get God involved. Everyone in Shushan, please fed. tell Mordecai, tell everybody in Shushan to fast and pray for three days, and then I'm going to do it. And so here's my takeaway. When you do the right thing, you have a tailwind from God. Mm. You get help. It may not be guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. It's not obvious. But if you're doing the right thing and you step up, I do think that God helps. But on the other hand, just as we weren't merciful. The Canadian prime minister wasn't merciful. None of the countries in the world were merciful, so God wasn't merciful during the Holocaust. In the end, he didn't let the Jews get wiped out, and, and relief and redemption came from a very strange place. It came from the Soviet Union. It came from um, you know, things that one wouldn't have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, it came from a, clearly the allies coming in and joining. It came from Britain not um, not surrendering. It came from a lot of things, but had people done the right thing during the refugee conference in 1938? It might have been the no Jews were murdered. Right, right. It might have been the no Jews or very few, and it might have been and the people that had courage and frankly in the UK and in the United States and acted. To 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 restrain Hitler earlier, it may have been that there wouldn't have been what seventy million people killed because of World War II. So we didn't have the courage that you that Judah did in stepping up. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the courage that you know Jonathan did. I mean, a whole host. David did with Goliath. We didn't have that courage, and so human evil was allowed to unfold because God gives us free choice. On the other hand, so that's my, it's not a quote unquote answer. Mm
1: -hmm. It's a
0: way of thinking about the world and living your life in a way that you think things depend upon you. Yes. And that's the takeaway I have.
1: So really it is, taking your fears, things that you're scared of, because these things really are scary for people to stand up, take a position and say, in today's society, I believe in God. Um, I'm going to do the right thing, even though it's not popular and people are going to criticize me for it. I'm going to do the right thing. So let me ask you this. This is a powerful lesson and rule How have you been able to apply this in your own life?
0: Well, that's an excellent question. And, you know, I think that when I've had tough choices, I mean, literally in business or in ethics, I've thought about, you know, Judas standing up to to, to his brother Joseph, who he doesn't know as his brother. I've also thought, you know, you can't always expect, there's not necessarily always moral deserts. I mean, when, when Moses you know, saved the Israelite from being killed by the Egyptian overseer, what was his reward? He was sent to Midian for 40 years. He fled to Midian for 40 years, and he never knew he was coming back. Right, right. Some, you have to do the right thing. You don't know how it's going to play out. On the other hand, he was situated by God for those 40 years to be ready so when things were appropriate,
2: he could be called upon. Yes. You don't know, you don't know, and
0: you can't expect the near-term consequences to be what you'd want them to be. But if you live your life right and you do stand up, then. You know, we, as a believer, I believe that this is a very long story, not a short story. Yes. I mean, I think the courage that a Nelson Mandela had, Uh or the courage that a Natan Sharansky had to serve in, in, not serve, to be incarcerated for decades, Um, and yet they withstood that because they saw the long picture they saw the arc of the universe bending toward justice as martin luther king dr martin luther king said so beautifully mm-hmm. that they were willing to view themselves we there's an expression in hebrew you know evan hashem a servant of the lord mm-hmm. you know if you think of yourself as There's different ways to think of yourself. You can think of yourself as, I'm out for as much as I can do, and I want as much pleasure and benefit as I can get in this world. Or, in the end, I'm a servant of the Lord. And it's a hugely different way of thinking about the world. And it changes your answers to a variety of ethical dilemmas, pretty starkly.
1: Yes, it does, doesn't it? Now, you talk also in your book uh, about the golden rule and how it's important to follow that as you deal with people and situations. And um, why don't you talk a little bit about that? And you also mention idolatry in your book and your definition of um, perhaps how it applies to us in modern day. So in my interpretation, it was kind of like you were talking about um, who you put first in your life
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how you treat everybody else. So why don't you talk about those? Because those are really the the commandments at their core. It's placing God first and treating others with compassion and knowing that they're children of God. So why don't you talk about how you discuss those in your book, In Good Faith?
0: So first of all, thank you. You really, you really hit the major things um, of my book. And I, I think the most important thing to, it, that I like to leave people with is that, and it helps you understand. I've actually had people come back to me six months later and say, after I was at a book talk or after I saw them and say, you know, the definition of idolatry can change things so dramatically. Um, So here's what idolatry is. You know, we, we, the Bible came to overturn idolatry before the Bible, everything was idolatry. And the key is, is that we have sort of infantilized idolatry. We think it's about bowing down to statues or magic making, but the Bible is pretty clear. I, Idolatry is ascribing super authority or superpowers to finite beings, people like us, Mm -hmm. um, ideologies, natural processes, or in the ancient world, animals, not so much today. But we thought, you know, we sort of overcame the, the idolatry when we defeated the God King Pharaoh in the Exodus story. But the reality is, is that, the whole 20th century was a catalog of God, King, Pharaohs, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, the Assad family, the Kim family, Hitler, of course, all used the same tropes as Hitler. Myth, pageantry, theater, song, parades, all backed up by an army of, that was willing to commit brutal violence and, and informers. I mean, how did Stalin get away with starving a quarter of the Ukraine, killing all the kulaks, and sending tens of millions of people to the to the to the gulag? He did it because no one questioned his authority. Of course, he can do that. I mean, even today, the Chinese Communist Party has six, what five to six million people in essentially virtual detention in the Xinjiang province, a million in detention camps. Nobody questions it. I mean, that's what they. That's what that's a super authority. It's no longer a superpower. It's no longer like thinking Pharaoh can breathe um, fire from his nostrils, but it's saying Stalin, Mr. Xi, whoever, um, President Xi, whoever, has the super authority. and Whatever he says, that's what the God King Pharaoh says. And here's what people overlook a little bit. It's not just on a macro basis. It's also on a micro basis. How did people like Harvey Weinstein... And Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer and Kevin Spacey and a whole host of others get away with what with abusing other people. They got away with it because within their industries they were essentially idols. They were unquestioned and unquestionable. So what they said was truth was truth. If Harvey Weinstein said something, it happened in his industry. If Charlie Rose said something, well, that's what truth was at CBS. And so, idolatry happens not just in a macro basis, but it happens in our most intimate encounters. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, just going back to what I was talking about before, <clears throat> our, every, our encounters with people really matter. You know, doing the right thing, making sure that our name is a good name, that when we, you know, ultimately have to give that ultimate interview, that we can say we did the right thing is critical i mean we have a jewish tradition that the first question you're asked when you have your your ultimate interview with the creator is how did you conduct yourself in your financial and personal transactions in other words when the rubber meets the road on ethics what did you do and that'll that's actually a lead into the second part of your question. (laughs) <laughs> which is um, about the golden rule. Yes. So I'm a big believer in the golden rule. I have yet to see, and I go through it in the book, the various other, you know, utilitarian moral philosophies, utilitarianism, moral deontology, um, uh, you know, a whole the moral imperative from Kant, a whole host of of of, of, of um, secular moral philosophies. By the way, that was my number. the number one question. If you, It sounds like you watched my Google book talk. That was the number one thing that people at Google asked me, which is, well, we have secular philosophy. What do we need the Bible for? And the truth of the matter is the Bible starts out so wonderfully by saying that we all have a spark of God. In Hebrew, we all are created. But Selim, okay, we're all created in the image of God. That means I share with you a spark of divinity. You have a separate spark. Mm -hmm. but that means I have to treat you a certain way. I have to treat you as, as sharing this little, you know, hint, this, this little hint of divinity. So everybody needs to be treated that way, whether you're uh, of the same gender, whether you're black, white, green, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a responsibility to treat you as though you are an image of God. And the way that the, the the Jewish formulation of the golden rule, it's in the it's in the Hebrew scriptures, it's in the Christian scriptures, Jesus obviously famously uh, restates the golden rule. The way Hillel, who predated Jesus a bit, stated the golden rule was, I think, the one that at least I, I, I like a lot and I keep in my mind all the time, which is don't do unto others as you wouldn't want done unto you. Mm. He said, then he said, the rest is commentary, go learn it. In other words, think about every time you do an action, would I really want this other person to do this to me?
2: Mm.
0: And if the answer is no, well, don't do it. Easy, um, right? Easy. <laughs> well, easier said than done. Right, right. <laughs> easier said than done. And that certain, to a certain degree ties into idolatry in that I put the other person, the other person is just is also just a human being. That person doesn't have super authority. What people like, you know, turn themselves into idols do is they think that what's good for them is not necessarily um, uh, equivalent to what's good for other people. That their will is 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 advanced, is promoted above other people. Would Charlie Rose have wanted to do the things he would? He have wanted the things done to him that he did to other people. Would Stalin want it to have been thrown into the gulag or starve?
2: I think not. No. Yeah, you're but, right.
0: But it's the golden rule. Had they just operated as the golden rule? Now, I understand leaders have to think about societies and greater issues, but it's a great place to start.
1: Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely correct. We are going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to have Scott tell us about the one chapter in the Bible he thinks everyone should read and why he thinks everyone should read it. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamra K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write, and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a Bonus Diagnosis Survival Guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The Diagnosis Survival Guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm talking to Scott Shea about his father's amazing story of being a Holocaust survivor, which inspired him to answer some really tough questions about the existence of God and why hard things happen. Now, you mentioned in your book that if there was one chapter in the Bible that you would recommend that everybody read, it's Leviticus 19. Tell me why. Yeah, I I think think it plays into all of this. Yes,
0: it absolutely does. Because Leviticus 19 is essentially, it is the chapter that restates the golden rule. It says, don't be dishonest with people, fair weights and measures. Don't place a stumbling block before the blind. Treat the widow and orphan and the underprivileged fairly. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that it doesn't just say that. It doesn't just say fair weights and measures. It says, have fair weights and measures because I am the Lord your God. Don't um, lie or cheat anybody because I am the Lord your God. Treat the widow and orphan fairly because I am the Lord your God. Set up fair places of justice because I am the Lord your God. Because here's the thing that I think chapter 19 is saying, which is that any time we have a personal encounter, it's not just you and me. But there's a third party, and that's God is present. Mm. And, you know, I think to a certain degree, and I say this in the chapter, that it's, it, it, you could say that's the invisible, not necessarily hand, but the eternal witness to every transaction. And if we think that way, well, our business transactions are going to be fair. What if you were a decision maker at Boeing? Want to approve the shipment of the plane if you weren't willing to put yourself on that plane? Do unto others, mm-hmm. you know, don't do unto others you would want done unto yourself. You know, that's actually, you know, the question. And if you thought God was there and judging, well, should I really do this? That's what, and it, and this translates back, you know, I think if you do the right thing, you get a tailwind. And if you do the wrong thing, I think God is there too, seeing. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't pass this test because to me, the thing that the Bible says to me in many places is that life consists of a lot of tests and how you grapple with those tests is critical. And, and listening to your podcast, I know, you know that, that you face tests Absolutely. And, that, um, and the way you react to them changes everything. And mm-hmm. some of the conversations that you have, how people have reacted, changed life. And you know, I have, and I think you're, you know, you're embodying that, and other people embody that. But also, frankly, there are other people, and you know, the Christian scriptures talk about people just walking by, you know, mm-hmm. uh, walking by the wounded body of uh, you know the person on the street, and and you know. And again, it doesn't matter. The Samaritan in that case was a marginalized person in society too, but treated other people with the golden rule. And I think that's what the Bible is. Everything's a test.
1: Yes. I think you're absolutely right. It's beautiful that um, just the ethical principles alone of the Bible, if we simply applied them, would, I think, improve society dramatically. Um and I think that's, that is at least another argument in the balance of is, is there a God or isn't there a God? I remember here talking to somebody who uh, once told me, if I had my life to do over and had to choose to believe in God and to act according to what I've been taught or to not believe in God, I would still act according to what I've been taught in the scriptures because it has helped me live a better life and i'm confident and feel better about the life that i have lived because of we call the commandments kind of rules but but they're guidelines to help us i think point us in the right direction it's almost like god was saying if you do these things you will live happier will everything be perfect no but these things help you be your best self and they help you treat others with with that respect that because they also have that spark of divinity, kind of like you were saying. So it's it's a beautiful um pattern, I guess I should say. And we can see examples of following and not following that in the scriptures, time after time after time. So it's beautiful. Now you mention um in your book that Prayer empowers us to face challenges. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about how you've seen that in your own life. I know you mentioned at the very end of your book that um, this book wouldn't have come about if you hadn't had prayer. So talk to me about prayer in your own life and how that that plays out and helps you face your challenges.
0: So, I, this was something I thought about a lot and 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 I've thought about prayer a lot. And it's also the area that the atheists mock the most because they think it's in it's self-infantilizing, it's giving up your own agency, it's um a ridiculous waste of time, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, right. And 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 I've also had a lot of believers say to me, "Well, why would God? You know, how can how how can I offer a better plan to an all perfect, all knowing God? You know, I'm a finite being. So prayer is difficult theologically as well. I don't and 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 yet I think it's essential.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it is also something that can it
2: can change
0: us and it can change the world and i'll give a few it's this is this would be a really long answer too but i'll I'll, i'm gonna i'm gonna pare it down to say this the first thing about prayer is that and this is a frightening thought actually to me for me is that uh-huh. when I pray, I'm praying to the Almighty. The Almighty knows everything about me. Yes, there is no place for me to hide, to self-deceive, or to self-justify. <clears throat> Even though I'm probably as good at self-deception and self-justification <laughs> as anybody, and I, <laughs> you know, I'm a human being. Yes, right, but but at least when I'm praying for that period of time, I have to say, I have nowhere to, I, this is, there's a harsh and a bright light on me and God, what am I going to say to you? Okay. What am I going to say to you about my actions? You know, am I going to say, well, I thought I could make a few extra dollars if I did this and not sit, not disclose that or, or the like, well, no. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I've, you know, thank God I I have a sufficient living. I mean, I I can't say something silly like that or stupid like that. Um, I I also when I'm facing challenges or thinking about things, and I, and the example I gave, and I'll give the example of the book was I thought about this book. I think it's important that believers make the argument for God mm-hmm. and. I don't think it has been made broadly or well enough in society. I, 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 my book, um, thankfully is not a second printing. Um, it's Yay, about to come out
1: congratulations.
0: Thank you. And the, but the reason I say that is surprisingly, I'm finding many people are sending books to their children who go to college who are being taught that, that, Faith is just their family's superstitions, and don't worry, we'll convince you at college not to believe in that silly stuff anymore like the tooth fairy. And so I saw a need for this. I saw a need. I have, a, I mean, I have friends whose who's children, whose who's, who's, who's significant others, who's all sorts of people who lost faith because they think it's irrational. They think science has explained faith. They think the Bible was made up. Et cetera, et cetera. And so I really thought there was a need for this book. And I thought there was a need for this book a long time. But I didn't think I could write this book or should write. You know, I'm I'm a banker. I'm a, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I clearly think about this stuff a lot. Don't get me wrong. And I'm a believer and I'm a avid reader and, and, and I, and I've written another, I read a previous, written a previous book. So I sort of knew I could write a book, but me write this book, why doesn't someone else write this book? And then, as I said, what happened is I was making these excuses to myself. I mean, you know, I wasn't I wasn't taking it serious. I'm making these excuses, and then all of a sudden, then within a period of months, I had a child living at home. who moved away for a job. I had uh, I had um, two children in college, and then I had one children surprise me and decide to go to a high school boarding school. So, and then my wife was um, accepted for a PhD program. So she was going to be really busy. She's now Dr. Susan, I'm very proud to say. And awesome. all of a sudden I realized, wait a second. I, I'm going to have a fair amount of time if I want to make it happen. And I can't. And if you're praying and you think something's important, well, why can't I do this?
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, what is my excuse to myself? And it wasn't writing a book you know. It's not fun. I essentially gave up bicycling. On Sundays, I would work fourteen hours because I had the day off. Wow. I would work Saturday nights. I'm a Shabbat observer, so I don't work on the sh- during the day of Shabbat in terms of writing. Although I might be reading, um, and anytime I had two hours. Uh, I would start writing and I'm the guy, sometimes have to travel internationally. You know, there's that, always that annoying guy on the plane with the light on for all, the whole night flight. I'm gonna confess now to all of your listeners, that was me. Um, and, and that, and, and I did that for five years. I mean, I was like really, I didn't do, I gave up, you know, other than family work and, and you know, I just, I enjoy wine too. And a couple other things. I didn't do any really extracurriculars. Mm. And um but I wouldn't have done that without prayer. No way. No way I would have done that cuz I, I forced me to face up to the to the I would have frittered my time away probably. I mean I don't mm-hmm. have frittered my time. I would have done something reasonable, I you know, but I wouldn't have written a book. Let me put it that right. way. Right.
1: Right. The interesting thing is I think when God gives us something like this and he puts that idea into our mind that he's going to open that way for us to accomplish it. Now, that doesn't mean that it just automatically happens. Like you just mentioned, it involves a lot of sacrifice on your behalf too. And so that's with any goal that we set. If one of my, uh, previous, uh, people that I've interviewed talked about it's good to have God as an accountability partner in addition to having you know maybe a friend or a family member being an accountability member because then you have um he can open doors that perhaps we never would have imagined or he'll impress us to use our time in a, in a different way and, and I found that when I go to him in prayer and say I've got all these things to do Help me to figure out how to do them. Inevitably, he he blesses me to think of oh, if I do this and this at the same time, if I call this person while I'm exercising, he helps Mm -hmm. us make more of our time than perhaps we would have had to begin with. It's it's fascinating,
0: right? It it is fascinating, and it's and I'm I'm so grateful for that. It's not that God, in my view, always makes things easy because it takes our endeavoring. (gasps) Yes, you know, it's not that it's easy. And, you know, I think sometimes God makes things harder, but for a reason. (laughs) Um, I don't know what that, you know, again, I can't explain it, but God, but, but if we're doing the right thing, I think you can sort of sense that there's a force in the universe directing you toward a certain door or directing you in a, you know, look, I mean, i give a simple I mean, when I when I'm writing the book, as I was writing the book, I finally was going to publishers. I let me assure you, I was turned on by some of the best publishers in the <laughs> United States, and I sent it around. I ultimately got two offers, which was great. But uh-huh. I got turned on. I don't know. You know, certainly at least ten times right. before I got two offers. It's it's not like oh well, I'm you know I'm praying and uh, and I prayed that a publisher would take the book right i mean um but it's not like oh you know you have to do the effort god is can i think god is a partner but if we don't you know again stand up and do what a what a judah did or what a what a moses did and you know and are prepared for the consequences or esther i mean esther was prepared to die mm-hmm. moses was prepared to lived the rest of his life in Midian, and Judah was prepared to be the vizier of Egypt's slave for his entire life and never see his family again. I mean, they were prepared for it not to go well. There aren't guarantees in this yeah. life. That's not the way it works.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's very amazing. So I, I think what you're saying here, and I think it's good advice for anybody who is uh, in a hard space and is praying for help is don't give up. Don't give up. That don't perhaps give up. yeah, perhaps God has closed all these doors, but down the hall and to the left, there's a window open. You just got to get there, right? Right. Um, don't
0: stop walking. Yes. Don't stop talking for it. Don't stop working for it. Keep working. Keep yeah. working. You get turned down by five publishers. Apply to five more. <laughs> I mean and I, I that's a small thing compared to some of the life challenges but you know what I was I mean in just in that I you know I'm I'm praying for God but I'm doing the work myself I mean somebody said it you have to pray to God as though there's no one else and you have to do the work as though God isn't going to give you help you have to do both and if you but if you do the work I think god's there that's the that's the irony that's the um that's the uh, it, it that's the the hard part of you know living in and being a human being is 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 being at that conundrum being at that nexus and 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 living and living that mm
1: mm-hmm. and getting past it knowing that just like it's dark every night the sun does eventually rise and yes. so that that's seasons of our life right so oh well Scott our time's almost up and yep. you have been so generous in teaching us about your uh the amazing things not only that you're you learned from your father but that you've put down in your book tell us where we can find you and find your book before we sign off
0: Oh, great. Well, so my book is available on Amazon. Um, it's available, uh, quality bookstores as well. And it's also a lot of people are listening to it on the audio version. I didn't. And, and the good news is I didn't read it. Somebody else did. So (laughs) he's got a great voice. His name is Andrew Turtles, and he's great. And people love the audio version. Um, and, um, It's the and it's also coming out in paperback in a few months. So I'm excited about that.
1: Congratulations. Yes.
0: I have a website. You can either go to ingoodfaith.com or scotch.com, S-H-A-Y. Um, and I have a I have a form people can reach me. I try to answer everybody, but the one thing I'm gonna say is I sometimes get chapter length emails. If you want an answer, make it a short email, and I try to get back to people. Awesome. Um, and and you know, and you can also find on my website the you know, uh, the Google Book Talk, my debate with uh, Michael Shermer, who's a big name atheist you may have heard of, and a whole bunch of other stuff.
1: Oh, wonderful! Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom. It has been an honor to have you on Stories of Hope in Hard Times, and good luck. In spreading your message of in good faith. Thank you.
0: Thank you and many blessings to you and to your family.
1: Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode. So you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget what were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling, with hope to carry on, and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ, and He will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.